Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful day that we could worship you. We ask, Lord, even as that song asked, that you would speak through your word. Every word that is written is inspired, was breathed out by you through the Holy Spirit. And every, all of this is written for our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness. That we, we may be adequately equipped for every good work. Lord, your word comes like a hammer. Your word is sweet to our tongue. Your word is a two-edged sword. Lord, we, we desire to hear from you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what it means to live out this truth as God has called us to. We pray, Father, that you would uh, allow us to see truth, see wonderful things in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, teaching at a Christian school, I was teaching there. We had a bunch of students, and there was uh, one of our students, I think he was in his 80s. And as I was, I was, I was training them to be able to preach, to be pastors, and as they were in our class, uh, probably year one or year two would go along, and then he would say some really strange things. He would start to say things like, well, you know, um, there's a lot of truth in Hinduism, or there's a lot of truth in the Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, one of their sacred texts. And I go, well, the scriptures tell us that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so I just kind of just, I just thought it was just a side comment, but he just kept pressing it and kept pressing it and kept pressing it. And then I started to see how he was starting to influence the others. He was talking about it, and it was almost upsetting the others because it wasn't what scripture had talked about, what scripture had told us. And so as he continued on, I started to see different fruits in his life that, that started to be revealed. He was not only, I mean, he was not only an older gentleman, he should have been a wiser gentleman, but he was found just plagiarizing and copying and not doing his work in a, in a right manner. And it was a reflection of what I think, I think what he really believed. As I asked him who Christ was, he says, Christ is, Christ is God, Christ is my Savior, but there's also truth in other things. Can that actually be true? Can we receive truth, spiritual truth, about salvation, heaven, hell, God, from other places? Is that the kind of folks we should be linked up with? You know, uh, the text that Mike was reading tells us, Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit, that if someone comes with a false gospel, someone comes with a different gospel, right? Heteros gospel, right? Anything different from what he has preached, that they should be accursed, anathema, not listened to, right? Because God has called us to live and to hold this truth. He says here in 2 John, we're in the uh, book of 2 John, and we're going to finish this book. Verses, uh, verses 7. 
Well, we'll start at 5. Verses 5 to 13. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Now, there are four governing truths, four governing methods, four governing principles that should, that should govern your life. Because I believe that God gave this passage, it's the same text, it's the same principle, it's the same thesis that God gave this passage to you this morning so that his truth would govern your whole life. That you would have truth to govern your life. If you remember from verse 1 last week, we said that we should let God's truth draw us together. That which should bring us together should be God's truth. And what we mean by truth is the gospel, is the word of God. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he died on the cross for the sins of man, that if you believe solely in him for salvation, you will be saved. And so that is the commonality that produces true fellowship. In verse 2, we saw we should let God's truth grip you forever, that we should abide in it. Verse 3, we said that let God's truth permeate, permeate your atmosphere. And in verse 4, we said let God's truth master your life. And now he continues on and he speaks practically to this woman, this friend of his, who is known for her hospitality, known for her love. If you notice here, there is a tension, okay? There is a deep tension. In verse 5, it says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this woman was a great example of love. She would open her house. She would invite folks in. She would allow people to eat of her food and, and to uh, come and to partake of meals together and to share their lives together. What John was saying was, she didn't understand that the, there was danger on the horizon. And this is a lot of folks oftentimes, especially when you start a, a new church, a lot of folks will ask me, Angelo, you should link up with this person, link up with that person, be close to this person, because if you do that, you can do this. And if you do that, you can link up with that ministry. I'm not all about that, brothers and sisters. My first question is, what do they think of Christ? How is someone saved? What is their view of God? What is their view of the uh, deity of Christ? What is their view of Scripture? What is their view of preaching? 
before I even link up with anyone to do anything. Why? Because this verse governs me. Okay? And it ought to govern us. He says here in verses 5 and 6, to allow God's truth to shape your heart. God's truth has to shape your heart. Okay? God's truth has to shape your heart. When someone is exposed, when someone receives God's truth, when someone comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to shape the inward man. It has to change you. Such that you now, as an expression of the truth that was revealed to your heart, now you must love others. You must love God. You must love others. Your life has changed. Because love, in verse 5, is tangible. Love is tangible. Notice, he says here, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It is, we understand this to be a commandment. Love is a commandment. But it is first placed in us when we come to Christ. It is the change in our heart that now we want to be with believers. Now we want to fellowship with believers. We want our lives to be intermeshed. When we are separate, it is not right. See, the Christian, when he comes to Christ, when she comes to Christ, there is this new realization now that I have a family and I have to express that love. We know the word there for love is the agape love. It's the love that uh, desires to show good even to the, to the object, regardless of any benefit received back. We understand that that is what God has called us to do. Paul calls us to do this. When you are, when you are exposed to truth, when God shows you your sin and his mercy therein, because he has saved you from your sin, what happens is he causes you to have a heart for other people. You love God, and therefore you love other people. Paul calls us to do it. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 9, he says, now as to the love of the brethren. Here, i got to show it to you. Go to there. 1 Thessalonians. It's incredible. This is showing the supernaturality of Christian love for one another. It's distinct. It must be stimulated, yes. It must be caused to grow, yes. It must be encouraged, yes. But what happens is the seed starts this new love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves, notice what it says, are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do it toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia, but we urge brethren to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. I remember when, when I wasn't saved, I didn't really care about people's problems. I didn't really care to hear their problems. I didn't want to listen to them, right? I just wanted a happy-go-lucky life. But when I got saved, all of a sudden, God has caused me to, to say that people matter. It was the strangest thing. I, I, ha I now had, I used to only run with friends who had things in common with me. <laughs> 
oh, I like to do this. I like to do these sports. I, I like to play this. I like to do these things. I don't want to hang out with those nerds and those geeks and those, you know, you know what I mean? That's how I was in, in high school. And when God saved me, it didn't even matter. Those whole high school classifications all faded away. Now God has caused me to love someone who is absolutely different from me. He has softened my heart because what has happened is God has caused me to love. And you know this to be the case. We wouldn't even be together as a church. We wouldn't even be, we'd love to be together. we love to hang out. Even if it's not a ministry event, we just still like to hang out, right? Why? Because God, what is that? Is it just because you have good email and correspondence and you know how to use Evite? Is that it? No, that's not why. The reason why we love to be together is because we have the same love of Christ. So you have to allow God to, God's truth to shape your heart. And what occurs there is when you have a love for one another, it is exercised. It is demonstrated in true affection and true works of Christ. True works, good works. Notice Peter calls you to do it. So that was Paul. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. He says here. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Since you have in obedience, notice he says here, to the truth. Okay, These are people who love the truth, obey the truth, submit to the truth. The truth being the clear reading and exposition of God's word, the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, what happens is, is when someone is truly submitted to the truth, believes the truth and embraces the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And then he attaches it. Why do you love one another from the heart? He says, for you have been born again. Not of seed which is imperishable, but uh, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. What occurs is when someone is exposed to the truth, they come to Christ, they are regenerated, they are born again, and now they love one another. And that's why, that's why you can walk into a church and the elderly woman who's in her 90s and the young person who's in who's seven years old who knows christ you love them all that's why you could go to any country and those who claim the name of christ indeed and in truth you have a love and affection for them even john calls it we know in first john 4 i'll just read it he says beloved let us love one another for love is from god everyone who loves is born of god and knows god christ himself says it in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And even as we allow God's truth to shape our hearts, we understand that it's not only tangible, it's not only exercised where we can see it, but it's also a lifestyle. Notice in verse 6, he says, and this is love back in Second John, Second John, Verse 6, he says, 
And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. The word there, of course, we talked about walk. It is one's daily life, their behavior. It is the, it is the, it is the sum total of how they live their lives. If there was a, uh, a hovering, I forget what those are called, those drones following you with a GoPro all the time, the predominant feature of your life because you've come to Christ should be love. It should be caring. It should be affection. It should be a, an honoring of God and an honoring of His truth. And so this is what he says. It is a lifestyle. It's not once in a while, but it is a lifestyle. Secondly, secondly, we are to allow God's truth to sharpen our thinking. We are to allow God's truth to sharpen our thinking. And he says here, verses 7 and 8, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. The first thing to think about in verse 7 is, don't be naive. Don't be naive. I can't, I can't fathom how naive Christians are. So naive. Not thinking. Not knowing the word of God. And they, and they just accept everything without even sifting it through the filter of God's word. They listen to lies. They receive it and they just are so naive. And God has given us his word. He has given you the light for you to study, for you to believe, for you to love so that you can see clearly. Don't be naive. First, he says, there are many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many deceivers. The word there for deceive comes from the, uh, from the word where we get the word planet. Because the Greeks used to think that planets kind of just roamed around the universe strayed, wandering. So the word there for deceiver is someone who leads astray. Someone who causes someone to be mistaken. They stray from the truth. They look like they are preaching the truth. They smell like they're preaching the truth. They look like Christians, smell like Christians, but they are not. They deny essential Christian doctrine. And this is why, brothers and sisters, before you receive someone as a Christian, and when I say receive them, accept them, understand them to be, you ask them what they believe. Point blank. Ask them what they believe. Who is Christ? How do you know you're saved? Most Christians, sad to say, can't even answer those questions. Who is God? What is he like? What's the word of God? Should we believe it? Should we trust in it? Most Christians can't even answer those questions. They stray from the truth. See, um, Paul tells us that this is going to be the common theme. He says here in 1, in 1 Timothy, I'll just read it to you. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Brothers and sisters, there are deceivers out there. He says that there are many deceivers. 
So the majority of folks, okay, who claim the name of Christ, I can't, I can't tell you them many times. I was on a college campus, and this guy, he was teaching another gospel. He taught that you had to be baptized in his particular church. They started out in L.A. He says, you have to be baptized in our particular church, and I want to teach in your group, and I want to come in your group. I would be a fool to say, absolutely, come on in. Because what would happen is I'm leading in the deception. I'm helping the deception. There are many deceivers. There are, their attacks on Christ are stealthy. They are subtle. Notice it says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those, what is it, okay? Are these minor things like should you use plastic cups or glass cups when you have communion? I'm not talking about that. Should you practice communion once or twice a month? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about essential Christian doctrine. Okay, This is what divides uh, the sheep from the goats. Jesus has called us. He says here, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Notice, do they acknowledge Jesus Christ? They absolutely do. Do they acknowledge him as coming in the flesh? They do not. Uh, the word therefore acknowledge me is the same word where we get confess. They don't confess Christ as he really is. So it's not a matter, you know, when folks, I have family members who are like this. The, we'll talk about Christ and then they're, they're from a cult or they're from a different religion and they will say, well, you know, Angelo, it's all the same. They'll say that. We're just all the same. You just be, we just practice the golden rule. Right? And I'll say, no, it's not the same. Because do you have payment for your sins? Do you have a hope after death? My Christ rose from the dead. Yours did not. Your God did not, right? And so we have to hold to the confession. It's not a mere quibbling over words. Because notice he says here, they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They don't confess Christ as who he really is. Jesus Christ had to come. What that means is Jesus Christ existed before all eternity. He came down. One of, the, one of the persons of the triune Godhead in order for him. It doesn't say he started in the flesh. It doesn't say he began in the flesh. It doesn't say he originated in the flesh. What it says is that he came in the flesh. Simply stating he, he existed beforehand. He put on flesh, put on a body to die out for the sins of man. And he came down. And he died a literal death. And he rose a literal resurrection. They don't, they, they don't acknowledge that. They don't acknowledge that. See, this confession in Christ, we have to hold to this confession. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, 16, it says, and by common confession, same word, same Greek word, it says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on 
in the world, taken up in glory. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews chapter 4, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Fourteen, he says, Hebrews chapter four and verse fourteen. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, or you can say, guard our confession, protect our confession. Christ has called us. To protect it. To deny is to reveal the demonic origin and the blindness. 1 John 4, 3 says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard, that is coming and now is already in the world. The reason why he says this is the deceiver and the Antichrist, because it is in stark contrast in a bold statement, that which looks subtle is bold. That which looks little is major, okay? And you, as a Christian, has to be able to discern that. What are, the re- what are the real little things and what are the big things, right? He's saying here, it is the Antichrist. It's against Christ. Every All of your beliefs here, if they deny this point, is against him. The one you claim you to love. It offends him. It brings him low. It robs him of his glory. So if we, if we accept because we want to be nice. Our brothers in IGC over at uh, uh, Oahu. They say that, that a lot of the religions get together. And a lot of the Christian circles get together. And there's no distinction. There's no discernment they all get together and they don't talk about doctrine because they want to just keep it the aloha spirit you know kind of an aloha spirit i don't want to offend you you don't want to offend me why do we need to offend each other by talking about doctrine let me tell you brothers and sisters it's the only thing that keeps us together truth is the only thing that keeps us together truth keeps us together, and allows us to see um, that which is false, right? And he says here, don't be naive. There are many. It's the spirit of the age. Everyone is lying all the time. All the time, okay? And you got uh, parents, please, brothers and sisters, do not teach your children to just say, oh, that's bad, that's good. That's bad, that's good. Don't do it because mom said. Don't do it because dad said. That's not enough. It's not teaching this. What do, I, what do I mean by that? It's not teaching them to assimilate truth, to understand truth, and to be able to combat it when they see the principle come. I have a love-hate relationship with Christian radio. Really. I have a love-hate rela- relationship with Christian radio. I love certain preachers who come on there. Man, 
They're exegetical, expositional. They glorify Christ. They just charge right down the line. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, man, I'm edified. I'm fed. And then right after, they have some, some guy teach about how you can help yourself, how you could uh, pick yourself up, how you could heal your own self, how you could, by your own psychology, you, you have all these principles to follow. And it is a Christless, secular thing sprinkled with verses. And Christians listen to Christian radio and they just keep, they go right through it and they don't even discern. They can't even say that is ungodly. That's not even the gospel of Christ. You've got to look at things with gospel-centered glasses. Bible-centered glasses. This is what you're called to do. So parents, I would encourage you, first you understand what the scriptures are. And weigh everything that people say, every song, every movie. You are not allowed to let your mind just stray. You are always on task, always on task. We always evaluate and judge and understand, oh, I thought judging is, is mean. You know that what people say, right? They'll, they'll, say, they'll say to you, okay, um, doesn't the Bible say thou shalt not judge? Thou shalt not judge. And I say, no, it doesn't. And they say, yeah, it does. I said, thou shalt not judge lest you be judged in the same manner, right? That's totally different. But Paul never tells us to check our intellect at the door when you become a Christian. Paul never tells us to stop thinking and stop evaluating. John never tells us that. Jesus never tells us that. In, in, in the verse that, uh, look at what he said in Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians. Look what he said. You are to always evaluate. Always measure. <laughs> Says Paul, he's an apostle, verse 1. And he says, not from men through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father. So he's laying out his credentials. He's saying, I am amazed, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. Yes, there are those who will distort the gospel, who will change the gospel. Then he says here, back at um, 2 John, do not be defrauded. Do not be defrauded. So first, don't be naive. Secondly, don't be defrauded. And let me finish that application for you parents. Help your kids to have that discourse with you. Help your children to have that discourse. What does it say? What does the Bible say about that? How does that reckon with God's word? What does God think about that action? What does God think about that behavior? What does God think about what that person just said on TV? Allow them to discern that and to understand it. Well, the, the Bible says this in this verse, and then it equips them. You have to do that equipping. You have to get them ready for this world, right? Then it says, don't be defrauded, verse 8. Verse 8, it says... Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive 
a full reward. You have to watch yourself. It's so important not to be led astray. 2 Corinthians 11 says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I am betrothed to you to one husband, so that is to Christ, and I may present you a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. We have to be careful. We have to be evaluating. We have to watch ourselves, right? Colossians says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of angels. What, it, what he's saying here in explanation is you could end up wasting your life not receiving the complete reward that you would have gotten because you were listening to lies. Right? You were listening to lies. Believers must be discerning. And what's going to happen is when you are discerning, people are going to claim love and tolerance. They're going to claim this different version of love and tolerance. You're not being loving. You're not being tolerant. And yet God has called you to be stalwarts of the faith. He has called you, the church, to be a pillar of truth. Thirdly, thirdly, allow God's truth to determine your fellowship. Allow God's truth to determine your fellowship. He says in verses 9 through 11, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. First, you have to allow God's truth to determine your fellowship. It is the commonality of our belief, the commonality of our confession, the commonality of our worship and our honoring of Christ. He says in verse 9, first, don't listen to liars. Don't listen to liars. Notice he says here, if anyone comes to you and does not, oh, verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching. They don't remain. The word there, abide, means to remain. These teachers always, and what this is saying is, these teachers always want to go beyond the text. They, they will say they believe in the text, but they say, I, I, I know something else. I've had more of a vision. I have more prophecy, or I know, some, I know a Bible code. If you remember the Da Vinci Code and how they used to add up numbers and letters and things like that. I know how to read the Bible in a different way. And yet God says, God's word is clear. It's a light to my feet. It's a, a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And he, he says these teachers, they want to keep going. They want to do more. They, they're not content with what God has given. They're not content with scripture. And you'll often hear this. Okay, You'll often hear this when folks say, well, you know, I know that what God said, but that's old. I want a fresh revelation. I want a fresh dream. I want fresh 
things like that. I want a fresh outpouring. That's what they'll say, okay? Rather than holding to what God has called us to hold on to. It says the Bible says, the Bible says that they don't have God. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. If they go beyond this, it is proof, it is evidence that they're not saved. And we're giving them audience, right? It says they don't have God. Inversely, it says here, he who, the one who abides in the teaching, he who has both the Father and the Son. If you hold to Christ, if you hold to his word, if you hold to belief in him, you have both the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 14, 23. Why don't you turn there, John 14, 23. Jesus says this in John 14. Sixteen, we know, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see. And you notice he says here, as the Father, he's the, as the Spirit comes, he's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit who reveals truth, illuminates truth, allows us to see truth. The very fact that you're here and you agree with Christ, you, have, uh, you, can, you hold to the confession, is a testament to the supernaturality of the Holy Spirit opening your mind. If, in fact, he didn't open your mind, you wouldn't believe. And what he says here in verse 20, let's go to 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. He who has my commandments keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. But notice he says here, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, here it is, okay? This is Christ's words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He'll guard. He'll protect. The word there is also to obey. He'll obey my word. He'll hold it in high regard. He won't spurn it. Okay? And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Not just mine. He says our. So the believer has the father and the son. But notice verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. In verse 24 he who does not love me does not keep my words. Notice what it says. The reason, the real base down to the bottom reason why someone doesn't hold to the scriptures, someone doesn't believe the scriptures, it's not a matter of a lack of evidence. It's not a matter of a lack of argumentation. It's not a matter of a lack of fact. It's because you don't love Christ. You don't want to give him glory. You don't want to bow the knee. You don't want to submit to him who is rightfully king of the universe 
And so, because he is rightfully king of the universe, and you don't want him over you, you say his word is not true. You say his word is not applicable in this time. You say, oh, that's a bunch of fairy tales and myths. And the real reason, the Bible says, it's not because of it's a lack of facts. If you knew anything, any history at all, if you knew anything about manuscript history, if you knew anything of the twenty to 30,000 texts of these copies, if you knew anything about prophecy and over the 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ, if you knew anything about archaeological history, of how it's always been proven, and even unbelievers, they go to the Word of God when they want to check a historical fact. Just look at Genesis chapter 11. If you knew anything, and I piled that on you, put it on the back table over there, you still would not believe because you don't love Christ. It's not a matter of information. It's a matter of the heart that is not willing to bow. And so the Bible calls that a person who is stuck in their sin. They don't want to obey. They don't want to think. And they don't have an affection or a heart for God. They don't want him over my life. I want to do what I want to do. That's what it is. That is the rebellious insanity of sin. The God of the universe is shining his glory for all, through all creation, through the ocean, through the beaches, through the mountains, through the hills, through the creation of every organism on this earth, the ecosystem and how it all works. He is showing his glory. He is showing his glory by the conscience that is in every man. Every time he sins, he feels that guilt until he sears his conscience. He's shown his glory, of course, through the word of God, through the mystery of the local church. He continually shows his glory and people will shut their ears and not want to hear. That's what Romans calls, they are futile in their speculations and with their foolish hearts they are darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for a form of the four-footed creatures and animals and man, they exchanged the glory of God for themselves. They don't hold to the truth. Brothers and sisters, you have to watch that. I was uh, kayaking um, with the kids at, uh, over up north, <laughs> kind of like on the, there's a little like a cove over by, um, Venetia State Park. It's a little state park, if you guys know where that is at. We started at West 9th Street Pier. And, uh, you know, I was trying to... It was an inflatable raft, so I was really fighting the current, right? And I had two small kids. And it was a warm day, so I was out there just huffing it and huffing it and huffing it. And um, uh, I wanted to go to a certain point in the cove, right? I wanted to go there. So I aimed the kayak right where the cove is, right? Just aimed it. And um, I had to, it was such a light raft that I had to just go real fast. So I aimed at the kayak and then I just went, uh, 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 and I didn't know that it was slightly turning to the left, slightly turning to the left, right? And it didn't look so, so the kids didn't think it was a big deal, right? 
See, when you're back here and you are off just a little bit, okay, when you get to the location, you're way over here. Do you understand that? And that is the same way with the gospel, brothers and sisters. When we get our eyes off of Christ, just a little, oh, I need Christ and this, or I need, you know, Christ is not going to be able to help me with my problems because of this. Or, you know, Christ, Christ is good and, and let me add this other religion. If you just get it just off of Christ just a little, generations later on, as years go by, it can destroy us because we have veered so far from the gospel. God has called us to be the pillars of truth. He says, don't support liars, verses 10 and 11. Don't support the liars, 1 John. 2 John, excuse me. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in this evil deed. Okay, let me tell you how not to apply this text first, okay? This doesn't mean never talk to unbelievers, okay? Because God called us to, right? This doesn't mean never have an unbeliever in your house, okay? This doesn't mean anyone who disagrees with you, you're never going to come to my house. That's not what it means at all. What it does mean is that when there are false teachers were coming to the church, uh, they were coming, and there weren't really good hotels to stay at. Back then, when you stayed in a hotel, it, it meant like you were in, a, um, uh, there were kind of places of ill repute. So instead of staying in places of ill repute, they would stay with different people, okay? So when you go, what these people would do is they would teach another gospel, but they would pretend to be Christians. They would come into the this woman's home, and because they were in their home, they would get the person's approval. And so they would show to the local church, I am approved by this person. It's kind of like what we do when folks start name dropping. Okay? Well, you know, I know this person, so, you know, I'm all that because I know this person, and I know this person, and I know this person. It's kind of like name dropping, right? That's what people do. And so these false teachers, they are embedding themselves in the local church by leveraging relationship over truth. Now, to us, that sounds like an abstract thing, but it happens all the time. Come on, you don't really want to do that. Are you really going to do that? Because we're friends, right? We're, we're friends, right? We're not going to really talk about that stuff. We're friends. And so they're leveraging relationship over truth, and God tells you to leverage truth because of relationships. Okay. Sometimes folks will say, don't you love people? Why are you so focused on truth? I love people. That's why I'm focused on truth. They're not dichotomous. Do you understand? We stay on truth because we love people because we know it's the only way to free them. If I budge simply because I want to fill seats, do you understand? If you budge simply because you want to fill seats on the gospel, you have just removed the only message that gives them life. The only message that gives them hope. 
the only message that gives them both God the Son and God the Father. Real love tells the truth, even if it hurts. Now, he says, do not receive them into the house. Do not give him a greeting. This means, this word for receive, they used to use this word rejoice when they come in. And they would use it in such a means to say, see, they are one with me. See, I'm buddies with him. You know, it's kind of like when someone sees a star or an athlete, and they go, hey, man, what's up? Yeah, I know you. And then everyone goes, oh, you know him? You know him, right? You must be some, you must be approved, or you must be a great person because you know him. He waved back at you, right? Well, in reality, that's what these folks were doing. They wanted approval. But God tells us that the church cannot help or aid those who will not submit themselves to God's word. And this is why we're very careful, brothers and sisters, with the ministries we link up with, with the ministers we link up with, with the missionaries we link up with. We won't just take anyone. We won't just link up with anyone. We take our time. Why? Because it's the gospel that's at stake. And once we start to intermesh, People will become confused. Okay. We have to stay on the pure gospel. And lastly, we have to allow God's truth to spur your growth. So you have, allow God's truth to shape your heart. He causes you to love. Allow God's truth to sharpen your thinking. He causes you to be discerning. Allow God's truth to determine your fellowship. He causes you to be protecting and lastly, allow God's truth to spur your growth. He causes you to focus on discipleship. And he says here, though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. And John is saying he anticipates that he will receive a warm reception to this letter, to this warning, and to himself. He anticipates their submission and their love to the truth and to Jesus Christ, and he, which is a continually welcoming, of, uh, which is continually welcoming truth. And lastly, they continually experience joy when you are in the truth of God, protecting the truth of God, living, believing, loving the truth of God. You are finally experiencing true and utter joy. That joy is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins that we would be forgiven in him. Do not give up this message for the sake of people. Keep the message for the sake of people, for the sake of God. Father, we thank you that we have heard from you. We thank you that you have told us to protect the church, to guard the church. Lord, thank you for folks here who love your truth, who love the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us to sing. Thank you for this wonderful Sunday. Thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, if there is someone there who, are, who is contemplating these things or has questions, 
I pray you would work in their heart. Soften their heart for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.